introduce to you very, very quickly because I'm lousy at introductions. Eitan Shishkov. He's a dear brother of mine. Um, we, yeah, you can clap for him. You don't even know him yet, though. Uh, you might, you know, want to wait till the end and see whether that's. Uh, but uh, Eitan is a yeah. Well, thank you. Eitan is a a leader. He's a father of. Uh, He's a shepherd of shepherds, and he, he's a messianic leader in Israel. He hasn't always been in Israel. I'm not going to tell you his story. He can tell you his story. I'll tell you our common ground. I mean, if uh, messianic believers in Israel, there's not all that many um, relative to, you know, the whole body of Christ. And so if you know some, you know, you often know many. You particularly get to know the people who, are, who are, have authority. And that's how it's easy to get to know Eitan, because he carries, he really does carry authority in what he does. He and I, the most significant place where we minister together would be through Avi Mizraki in Dugit. There's a nonprofit in here in the States and a nonprofit in Israel. And in the nonprofit in Israel, Eitan and I both sit on that board, and we have the, the, the privilege of, of, uh, of sitting and listening mostly and occasionally offering wisdom. Eitan offers much more than I do. Uh, but we, we love to have that connection, and through that, we were able to get to know each other a bit. And then Eitan is also connected to, to Marianne and Steve Lewis and Ruth's Hart, who have, who have done so much for the, the Messianic body in Israel by, by promoting leaders here in Jacksonville. And so, so it's a beautiful little connection. If you were, uh, aren't aware, we had a conference in here yesterday that was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, it was a lot to take in, and it was good. Uh, and and we, we got a lot done in the course of one day. And uh, I know we have, some, we have that recorded, and we'll make that available to you. And, and so you, you, if you have six or seven hours to, to – I don't know how much the, rec- the, the, the teachings themselves were, but uh, it was really, really good – I mean, fantastic stuff. And so I think today might be a little different direction, but I want you just to welcome Eitan. And Eitan, as you come up, I'm going to pray. So again, Lord, we thank you uh, for your son and our brother. We ask, Lord, that, uh, that you would pin him down uh, and then just open him wide open. Lord, we, wanna, we want to see you. Um, we yearn to see you. And so, Father, we pray that, that Aton would be just ready, willing, and able to show us your heart. I know this is what he yearns to do, what he desires to do. And so we're, here we are, Lord. We're ready to receive from your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Wow. Well, <clears throat> it is splendid to be with you. I feel already very much at home here uh, because last November, uh, Jeff was gracious enough to, uh, to allow us to have a, an Erev Shabbat meeting here and uh, it was really delightful. And then spending the entire day here yesterday, uh, I already feel at home. But uh, for many of us, it's a, it's a new relationship. So uh, I, I want to start on that theme and to say I'm here because of friendship. Uh, Stephen and Marianne uh, became a, a very strong connection for me with Jacksonville and, and uh, have, have hosted me since 2016 when we began doing... Uh, benefit concerts with Paul Wilbur, uh, whom a lot of you know, this is his home uh, here in Jacksonville. Uh, but then what began as a, a very kind of a, 
I would say just a small touch between uh, Jeff and myself uh, has really become something where he pressed me the last time that he was in Israel uh, in an unusual way. He said, I want you to come and to be with our people on a Sunday morning. And he repeated it several times in a way that, you know, if you are invited to different places and people want you to come from Israel and to speak, you kind of already feel between the lines, is this, how strong is this desire? And he just wouldn't let me go, and he wouldn't let it go, and he, and he, kept, it, he kept at it. And so I, I wasn't able to ignore it, and as I was seeking God for where do you want me to be uh, when I come to the States in June, I just, it was just echoing inside of me. And then uh, on, on, on Friday, just the day before yesterday, we had one of those memorable meals. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I hope it, it does. God frequently works in my life over times of food and fellowship together. It's very biblical, you know. Uh, many of the times that, that God made covenant with people. You remember the, the covenant meal that God had with Abraham. Uh, when the three men showed up, but one of them really was, was God in the flesh. I believe it was a pre-incarnation appearance of Yeshua. And, and it was over food. It was over a meal at, at Abraham's tent, which, by the way, wasn't a little pup tent. It wasn't a camping tent. It was, it was a whole encampment uh, because of the possessions that he had. And then, and then we, we zoom forward, and uh, we see also the, the Passover was celebrated with a meal, our deliverance from slavery out of Egypt, uh, which led to the, the Passover meal that 3,400 years later is still being celebrated. And in many churches now, people are experiencing this uh, conjoining of, of Passover and uh, the Last Supper, which was also a covenant meal. It wasn't just the bread and the wine that night. I think you know that. But uh, it, was, it was lamb, and it was unleavened bread, and it was bitter herbs. And God has a way of, of doing things, of bonding hearts when, when people are sharing food. So that's what happened with us at breakfast the other day. And there was already just a kind of a good, friendly feeling. But what happened was God, I, I feel, really uh, moved us into a depth of friendship that for me, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here because of friendship. And I, I feel that God wants to emphasize the value of friendship in our lives. So thank you for uh, allowing me to be here and to share my life with you. Today is going to be some kind of combination of, uh, of my story, of Joel's story, uh, the, uh, uh, the spiritual son that, uh, that has um, demanded that he be with me during this time and, and, and really blessed me through that demand uh, also, I want to share some things about the meaning of this day. And so I want, to t- I want to say to you in Hebrew, Chag Sameach, which means happy holiday. It sounds a little bit more superficial in English, but uh, it, it carries a lot of meaning uh, because as uh, our brother mentioned earlier, and uh, a beautiful reference at that, this is the day of Pentecost or Shavuot on the Jewish ancient calendar that's been kept for all these literally thousands of years that on the 50th day after Passover, the 50th day following the sacrifice of the Messiah, who then appeared to the disciples in resurrected form for 40 days, explaining to them out of the Hebrew Scriptures, hey guys, this is what you've just witnessed. This is what I came to do. And then he said, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. 
And he didn't explain exactly what that was going to be. But as you know from reading your Bible in in, uh, the book of Acts, what it turned out to be was the outpouring of the Spirit that was foretold in the book of Joel. And so this is an amazing day to be with you. Uh, It's a a prophetic day. And I, I feel like God wants also for us today to capture the fact that he has put us in his story. We don't just read the Bible and say, wow, that's cool, and, and uh, you know, I want to learn more, and these people did all these great and marvelous things, and, and uh, you know, the people of the Bible that, that did this stuff are my heroes. But God wants to create uh, a heroic generation now, here and now. And our, our sitting in these chairs today is about being equipped to go out. It's about doing the stuff that Jeff talked about. I love that concept. Feeding a lunch of burritos. I want to come. I love burritos. Uh, to, the, to the workers out there on the highway, what a statement that this is not just some kind of, you know, enclosed enclave. Yeah, we, we meet on Sunday, but we don't really, you know, do too much about it the rest of the time. And, you know, we, we check that box and then we go out in the world and nobody really knows about the the Yeshua, the Jesus that's alive in us. So this is, this is a time to realize that you have a place prophetically in the, in the plan and the purposes of God. Thank you. I don't mind giving cues for amens. It, it encourages me up here because it gets a little bit lonely. And the lights, and I have to kind of look out here and duck down to see where you are because I like you. I want to see your faces. Well, this feast has amazing significance. I'm not going to go into a long teaching about it, but I can't be here on the day of Shavuot, which, by the way, means weeks. So it's talking about seven weeks, 49 days from the time of Passover. That's how this this feast got its name in Scripture and in Hebrew, and that's the way the guys knew about it in the first century because, uh, you know, they weren't really functioning in Greek. They were functioning probably in Aramaic, which is a a Hebrew-derived language of that day. But some of the symbolism of Shavuot, I think, really points to you and it points to us together. One of the main symbols uh, that's given in Leviticus 23 in the instructions is the waving of two loaves. So as you, as you might know, uh, Shavuot or Pentecost is also a harvest feast, which is celebrating the inbringing of the wheat harvest. Um, and at this time of year in the Galilee where Joel and I live, you see vast fields, golden fields of ripe wheat. It's so dramatic. I just, you know, it's, I can't look at it without sensing just Yeshua's words about, you know, the, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into his harvest field. Or the harvest is already ripe, and, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's, it says white in the English, but really it's, it's a golden harvest of wheat. And that represents the world, doesn't it? Uh, It even says in the scriptures, Jesus said that the harvest is the end of the age. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that we are entering and have entered the latter days. I think these are the days that are spoken of by the prophets. And one of the main reasons I know that is that my address is in Israel. (laughs) And it has been for the last 26 years. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But these two loaves, what can they possibly represent? They're not like the matzah, the unleavened bread, which obviously represents Yeshua in his, in his pure and sinless form, but it represents us because leaven is kind of like, okay, we're, we're not yet perfected yet. In, in the spirit, in our position, we are, but in our lives, we're not, as I, I love 
Jeff's transparency about his own struggles, and we all have them. But these loaves represent us. And why two? Well, because as it unfolded in the book of Acts, God always intended to include the nations. And so we see Peter on the, on the roof in, in Jaffa, and he gets this revelation, and the revelation's not about food, it's about people. And then uh, they take him to Caesarea, Caesarea, and he's preaching to the Gentiles. He's preaching to Cornelius. And that was already a violation of kind of what, what the Jewish guys thought. You know, when they, when they first encountered Jesus, realized he was the Messiah, they, they knew that he was the Messiah of Israel. They didn't think really that he was the Messiah for the nations. Because that was the concept, and in much of, of, of Jewry today, much of, of Jewish, the Jewish community, there's, there's not an understanding of how God intends to save all of humanity. But when we read the Bible, we understand God so loved the world, all of us. And he's always loved the world. This is not an afterthought. So in the book of Acts, we see the nations, the Gentiles, are brought into this relationship, into the kingdom, as full members I want you to hear what I'm saying. As full members, we are full members together of the kingdom of God. Boy, when I say that, something rises up inside of me. Because God wants to manifest his kingdom in our day, in our community. Is that an amen? Uh, That's a weak amen. (laughs) He wants to manifest himself through us on our streets, in our communities, in our schools, on our jobs, and yes, in the congregations. So those are the two loaves, and they're waved because it's a, a, a thanksgiving to God. I just want to do that right now. I don't have loaves in my hands. We had them beautifully yesterday, but maybe some of you, without bonking your neighbor, you know, you could just kind of do a symbolic, yes, Lord, we, 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 we celebrate the harvest. God, we ask you to, to bring forth the harvest. Cause us to see the ripeness of the harvest around us. It's Shavuot. It's the time of, of the wheat harvest. It's the time of the world harvest. God, this world is, is uh, as the old saying is, go, going to hell in the handbasket. But you have another plan. And you want this time for us to be harvest laborers. We pray. I prayed this one time in the mountains. Way back when I was a baby believer, Jeff, I prayed this prayer. I came across a scripture, probably the first time I ever read it. I was in a mountain field in the high mountains of New Mexico, brand new believer, still in the mountains, still in the same setting where I'd come to faith um, as a hippie on the commune. And I read that passage at the end of Matthew 9. And just in naivete, I, I prayed it. I said, oh God, the harvest is great. Send laborers into the... And suddenly I felt this, this grip in my heart. And it was like the Spirit said, gotcha. You're the answer to your own prayer. I'm, I'm sending you into the harvest, young man. And I could no longer stay in the mountains doing my little hippie commune thing because I realized that there was a greater harvest beyond. So we want that harvest. And then one last comment about Shavuot, which is that in the traditional Jewish understanding, and there's not an exact verse for it, but when you kind of begin to work out the timing of what happened as, uh, as the Israelites came out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, which happened uh, at Passover. It was the angel of death passing over our homes, and we were delivered by the blood of the Lamb. Coming out, the, the giving of the, of the Word of God, of the Torah, of God's instruction and God's commands on Mount Sinai is, is held to be in, in, uh, on this day, on the day of Shavuot. And so 
The giving of the word of God happened on a mountain, Mount Sinai. The giving of the spirit happened on a mountain, Mount Zion. The giving of the word happened when the community of Israel was gathered before God in, in this incredible revelation that, that happens in, uh, in Exodus 19 and 20. And the giving of the Spirit happened when the community of faith, the believers, were gathered together in the presence of God on the day of Shavuot also. So this is, this is part of what we're celebrating today, is this prophetic conjoining. And we are in this drama, beloved. It's so important to realize that. I just, I just, there's something in me that sometimes rises up. I want to take a stand against passivity. I want to take a stand against uh, uh, kind of like, you know, being, being carried along with the tide. You know, as believers, if you, no matter what your uh, occupation is, no matter what your age or your level of, of spiritual development, you are called to stand against the tide. And that's, that's not easy. Uh, it, it might seem like life is, is going by pretty smoothly, and I don't wish any, any hardship with you, but we are standing against a tide. There's a flood. I don't have to stand up here and be kind of the typical preacher. Oh, oh gosh, uh, there's a lot of evil in the world today. And we see this and we see that. And it starts listing all the bad things. You know all the bad things. But it's true that there is, there is a flood of evil. But I love the Scripture that says that, that uh, when there's a, a flood of evil, I'm paraphrasing, uh, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a banner. You are that banner. You are that banner. Come on. Come on. I'm preaching well. You need to, you need to, come on, give me a little encouragement here. All right. So we're going we're gonna to roll some pictures here. And don't be too shocked uh, because you're going you're gonna to see your new buddy, Aton, in his former incarnation. No, I, I don't believe in incarnation. Um, but this is um, my bride and I, and uh, this is several years before our encounter with Yeshua. Uh, but I'm already smiling uh, because somehow I knew that she was the one, and uh, now I'm more certain than then because we've had 50 years together as a couple. This year we celebrated the gold. Yeah. Men and women, go for the gold. Stay together. Work it out. So what happened was that uh, I was born in the diaspora. Uh, you can tell from my American accent and English. I wasn't born in Israel. I was born in Chicago of a Jewish mother, and a father whose parents had come from Bulgaria. But I was raised neither as a, as a Jew nor as a Christian uh, because we were good secular humanists. And that's, that's the religion of a whole lot of people in America today and, and outside of America. Uh, the, the modern world, unfortunately, has made an idol of, of mankind. And uh, that's not the way God intends it because we, we, we don't have the stuff within us. That's, that's not right. We're created in His image, but not to worship ourselves. And as I, as I grew up, that wasn't satisfying because I grew up in the 50s and the 60s and, and basically there was food on the table and clothing on my body and a roof over my head and gasoline in the gas tank. And it's like, well, what else? What else is there in life? And I began to realize that the world was in bad shape. Uh, there was racism. There was war. There was, uh, it, it seemed that many people did not have the advantages that I had. And so my conscience was awakened and I, I wanted to see change internally and externally. But the only, uh, the only means that I had at my disposal, I thought, were like either political activity. I got very involved in anti-war movement uh, of, the, of the 60s. And if there are any veterans here, I apologize to you because I think that 
on, on the one hand, some of <clears throat> our perceptions were accurate uh, about that war, but in other ways, our demonstrations and the way that we behaved was not honoring to you. So you don't have to raise your hands, but, but I, I become emotional because I think about uh, the men and women who uh, were going particularly to Vietnam but have served then and, and since, and I honor you. I, I, I do not see what I did there with a great deal of pride. But there was a desperation, and that desperation led me out past politics uh, into, into psychedelic drugs, into experimentation, uh, and ultimately uh, onto the land because we felt like, okay, we're not going to be able to change the system. That's ridiculous. Um, but what we can do is start all over again. That was also ridiculous, but it, was, it seemed logical at the time, you know. And so we kind of stripped time back, uh, turned the clock back about 100 years, and, and we began to live with no electricity, no indoor plumbing, and that experiment lasted six years. It was not a summer camp, beloved. It was, it was, and so you see some of the pictures here. I don't know if you can see on the screen that the lower right hand, uh, that's your new friend, Aton, a lot more muscular back in those days and quite a bit, uh, had a nice bronze tan, as you can see. And there I am. That's, that's, that's not a pose that I was actually hoeing in the field. I don't, know, I don't know who I allowed to take my picture at that point, but anyway, somebody snuck out there with a camera. They did have cameras in those days. That was a good line. You guys are also allowed to laugh, you know. It's permissible to laugh in church, especially when Jeff and Carol are in charge. You know, it's, I've, I've learned that much. And so when a close friend uh, was senselessly murdered by a total stranger, it destroyed my world. It destroyed all of the concepts I had of, of how by simplifying my external life, I could somehow reach spiritual enlightenment. It didn't work that way. And I had no clue. As we laid the man's body in a in a, in a grave, I just, I didn't understand death. I just did not, I had no, no grid for it. And I felt that this was the most in, unjust and, and cruel and, and ridiculous. The guy that was shot, murdered with a rifle that had belonged to me, used in the hands of a total stranger, took away a man who was good to all the rest of, of us commune people. Like he, he fixed people's cars. None of the rest of it. I didn't understand cars. You know, I grew up in the suburbs of Southern California. What did I know from an engine? You know, I just didn't, that wasn't my thing. I, I, I didn't understand engines, but he did. It was precious and his life was taken needlessly. And it, and it caused me to, to question and to, and to actually even just shake my fist at heaven. I didn't know who God was. I learned later it's a very Jewish thing to shake your, you know, shake your fist in the face of God. Why? You know, it's the big question. It's the question at the end of the Holocaust. Why? Why six million? It's the, it's the question of the whole, the whole uh, uh, experience of the Jewish people. Why? Why were we rounded up in synagogues during the, during the Crusades and, and burned alive? Why? All these, all these, this, this, God, who are you? Where are you? And so it, that question arose in me and God answered. You know, beloved, he is faithful. If there is somebody here, as, as Jeff said, if, if you came in as a guest or wandered in off the street or whatever, or if you've been attending here for a while, but the whole idea of, of surrendering your life to, to Jesus who everybody talks about, but, you know, like, I don't see him, where is he? You know, I'd like this thing to be more real. I want to tell you that there is a, 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 a guarantee. There's something that God says. He says, you will seek for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart.
And in my ignorant desperation, in my humanistic darkness, in my thinking that by Eastern meditation or by, uh, or by trying to live by the simple values of, of respecting the earth and, and worshiping uh, creation, that I could, I could somehow uh, change myself and become the person I wanted to be, I was seeking after God. And at that point of, of desperation and depression over the loss of my friend, one day some Jesus people showed up. Anybody know that, that old phrase? The old timers know that, Jesus people. So, so back in the 60s and early 70s, young people began to come to faith uh, in, in Yeshua, in Jesus uh, just out of that whole movement of, of, and the same disappointment that I experienced, the same disillusionment that our, our answers didn't work and social revolution wasn't the transforming thing we hoped that it would be. And, uh, and one after another and in various parts of, of the states and, and also outside. And so these two guys showed up. They were brand new believers, brother, four-month-old babes. But what they had that was valuable for me was they had ponytails and beards. <laughs> So I said, oh, these guys are kind of cool. I can listen to them, you know. Some Baptist preacher had showed up with a tie on at our commune because he'd met some of our people in the post office way out in the wilderness. And he said, can I come out to your place sometime and just talk to you guys? And we said, sure, why not? Knock yourself out, you know. So the guy comes out waving his Bible. He's got a tie on. All these grubby hippies are out there. You know, we come in from the field. We're all kind of, you know. Yeah, sure, whatever, man, you know. And he, he starts giving us the gospel. I mean, that dude was so bold and so, and so clueless, you know, but God sent him. And, and, and to this day, I remember I had some strange sensation inside. Could there be something to what this guy is saying? But I, I blew it off and, you know, went back to, you know, went back to my, my hoe. And yet, in the aftermath of my friend's death and when these guys began talking about Jesus, something absolutely strange and marvelous happened. Suddenly, the, the cabin where we were living and we were eating our, our uh, simple meal of, of beans and tortillas because we lived in New Mexico, we learned to cook from the local people. I saw him. I didn't see the room anymore. I saw Yeshua on the cross and I didn't see him from far away. I saw him close up, even closer than I am to you, my dear sister. And he, he locked his eyes, locked on my eyes. And through his eyes poured a level of love. Now, I was a loved kid. My mom and dad stayed together, thank God. I think more than, more than 60 years, 65 years, I think they were married. And I, I, I never felt unloved. But the love that poured through his eyes was at a whole different level. It was pure it was absolutely pure. And I saw that he was sacrificing himself for me when he was a perfect man. And that whole message has just been to me kind of like, I don't know, like tinny. It just didn't ring true. And I held it in contempt. But in that moment, I knew that it was absolutely for me. And this was what I had always been looking for. I had cycled through every religion, every philosophy I could get my hands on, most drugs I could get my hands on, and, and, and none of it spoke to me the way that those eyes spoke to me. And I knew, I knew that he was what I had always wanted and yet had rejected. So I came out of this vision waking experience and uh, the next words I heard out of the mouths of these Jesus people were, so you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? They had no idea that I'd just seen him. <laughs> 
<laughs> so how could I say no, you know? I would be dishonest to myself. So I and another buddy, another Jewish hippie farmer, we knelt down on the dirt floor of that cabin and received him in October of 1972. And these words in Acts chapter 2 were so relevant then. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in water, immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. Although I think Peter probably said, Yeshua HaMashiach, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's preaching this on the day of Shavuot. This day, 2,000 years ago, this was the message to Yeshua's followers, his about-to-be followers, this crowd in Jerusalem that had gathered around because they heard uh, God being praised in all of their languages by people that could not possibly have known those languages. Come on. This was a miraculous sign. This was a, a supernatural invasion from heaven. Yeshua said, wait for me, and the promise will come. They waited. The, the Spirit was poured out on this day of Shavuot as they, as they were in one, one heart. The, the, the Hebrew says, lev echad, one heart. And then Peter preached this absolutely incredible message. If you time the message, I don't know. It's only several minutes. It's not, you know, it takes me a long time to get my message out, you know. And I hope it doesn't take too long today. But in those days, under that anointing, he gave that message. And at the end of the message, they said, what, what, was, what, what are we going to do? They were cut to the heart. What should we do? And he said, turn from your sins. Repent means to turn. Turn back to God. Turn away. If this is a word for anyone here today, if you came in here and there, there, are, there are habits and there are thought patterns and there are, there are chains that are, that are holding you back, you might be born again, you might be saved, you might be a believer, a solid believer, and yet, and yet there are things in your life that you say, wow, I just, I, I, I want to be more free. This is, this is the day. This is the time. This is what it's about. And then he goes on and he says, you will receive the gift the infilling, the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Beloved, we were created for this. This is why God made this body. This, this funky body was made by God so that he could fill it, so that he could use it, so that he could flow through it, so that he could live through it, so that he could bless and love through this body and through yours as well. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, Hello, Zeanachnu, this is us in Jacksonville, Florida on Shavuot in June 2019. As many as the Lord our God will call. And what resulted from that was I returned. He brought me back to my Jewish heritage. I like to say Jesus made me Jewish. I really didn't know from Jewish, honestly. I, I can't pretend that I grew up with this, you know, traditional background or anything like that. Um... I actually literally, now you guys in Jacksonville probably, probably know what a bagel is, right? Bagels became very popular in the, in the larger world. It's no longer just Jewish food. And I think you know what matzah is, right? Matzah is the kind of dry cracker that we get to eat for seven days during Passover. And your mouth gets all dry. And Speaking of which, my mouth is dry. I always tell myself, open the water before you get up there, Shishkoff, and then I don't do it.
That's the best. I've just baptized the table uh, in keeping with the scripture that we read from Acts 2. I don't think that's what it means, but anyway, let your tables be baptized. Sorry. Thank you for the freedom to be silly. Um, so I didn't know the difference between a bagel and a matzah. Now, is that bad? That's desperate. I don't like to say that very much when I'm in Israel because it's really embarrassing. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, transparent. And so I really see that this heart transplant, and, and my wife, by the way, uh, also, uh, now she comes from a more, uh, a more Jewishly real family, if I can say it that way, both, both of her parents uh, were Jewish, and she grew up in Philadelphia in kind of a reform, liberal Jewish environment. I wasn't looking for a Jewish girl, but God brought me one. It was rather convenient. I guess he saw down the line that he wanted to take us to Israel. What an incredible thing. So I want you to go to the, to the next picture there. Lou, I want to I bless these guys, Lou and, and Matt back there. They're really, we're a good team. So this is my my firstborn son, on the day of his bar mitzvah in a Messianic synagogue in Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., and this young fellow, on this day, he was 13, he's now 49, so you can, you can do the math, this was a while back, and then you can see the dude in the background actually has a brown beard. <laughs> now, I, I want to confess, I didn't dye my beard gray just so that I could look mature, I'm, I'm confessing that to you. See, you're not laughing, come on. <laughs> I guess my humor isn't very good, but anyway. And there's my beautiful wife, and she has changed almost not at all. Joel, am I telling the truth? She still looks so much the same, and I, I can get very um, very melty in my heart when I keep looking at this picture because I've already been gone for, from her for a week and a half, going on two weeks. It's getting harder as I get older. What is happening here? What's happening is that the words that, that Paul spoke to the Romans, and, and we won't go into it as a teaching. Uh, I want to get to some other things. But this idea of the Jewish people rediscovering Jesus as their Messiah and not converting to becoming Gentiles, but continuing to live and celebrate a Jewish life in the New Testament format, this took only 1,800 years to happen. I mean, just let that soak in. It's been a long time coming, beloved. And so, not because I'm really great and cool, or Joel, or our people in Israel, or in the United States that are Jewish believers, but because God, in His awesome mercy, has never let go of us. There's a scripture in Hosea that says, I will betroth you to me forever. It means God says, I'm married to you, Israel. You're going to blow it. You're going to be unfaithful. I'm even going to have to put you out of your land for a couple of thousand years. We were exiled from the time of the Roman conquest in 70 AD until officially 1948. That's a long time. But in God's economy, it's not so long, right? Because he says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And so this, this re-emergence, this rebirth of a Jewish community of people who love Jesus as the Messiah 
and are not separated in any way from their Gentile brothers and sisters because almost always it takes you guys to help us wake up. Hello. That was an amen. All right. I'll work with you. It's okay. We got time, right? We need to help each other. This is a profound reality. And the fact that God said, okay, nations, I love you too. I'm bringing you in. We mentioned that. But then he says, Jewish guys, I haven't forgotten you. I've had my eye on you. And I'm, and I'm bringing you back. And what's really humbling to me is that Connie and I, my wife and I, we're 71. Well, she just turned 72 this week. Yom Huledet Sameach. Happy birthday, dear. Wasn't there to celebrate it. But, you know, with all the technology, you know, we did a little FaceTime and Anyway, sorry. You can tell I miss her, right? We are looking at a reawakening that signals the coming of Yeshua. What does he say in the end of Matthew 23? He says, you will not see me again until you, and he's speaking to Jewish people gathered in the city of Jerusalem, until you Jewish guys... Until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a quote from Psalm 118 in the context of the Messiah returning and coming and making his appearance and taking his throne in Jerusalem. Amen, amen. Come on, come on, Lord. So the times in which we live are indicative, not just because there's a flood of evil, but because the Jewish people have returned to Israel, have our own nation, but not just that, because physical return is not enough. There must be spiritual revival, and that revival is reflected in the fact that we are here with you today, and we're loving the Lord. And he, and he encountered me back there on the hippie commune in 1972 and has not let go of me ever since. And he's not going to let go of you either. All right, I got to speed on. This is too much fun. <clears throat> Fast forward quite a few years, all right? So we, we come into the Messianic movement, and, um, and I get involved, and I'm uh, in ministry and working in this Messianic synagogue and, and, and learning uh, how, to, uh, how to blend uh, a, a, a Biblical Jewish life with, with new covenant faith. And, of course, uh, it was Jewish guys that, that wrote almost all the New Testament with the possible exception of, of Dr. Luke. And in the winter of 1989, can we see that one? I get this vision in the time of prayer. Now, if you'll remember, those of you who were around back then and watching the news, something happened in November of 1989 that changed world history. Until that time, there was something called the Cold War. Anybody remember that? Right? We weren't, we weren't friends with the Ruskies, were we? No, 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 no. And that guy, Nikita Khrushchev, and he's, he's banging his, banging his, his uh, shoe in the UN and all this, and, you know, and then they send up Sputnik, and we're kind of embarrassed, you know, and, and all the, the space race and all of that that unfolded. And I grew up actually expecting World War III, so that was part of what informed my whole political view was, you know, I was like, peace, dude, peace. You know, <laughs> let's not blow each other up. Anyway, I live in Israel now, and my grandson is, is a commander in the IDF, and, you know, I believe in defense, believe me. The, the world is a nasty place, and, and if we don't defend ourselves, we'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get drowned. Anyway, 
I'm in prayer because there's, there's been a release of the Jewish people who were held inside of essentially a, a 70-year-plus prison uh, of, of communist uh, Soviet Union. But there are some 3 million Jewish people by that time, and maybe more, uh, in, in the former Soviet Union. And um, those people are, are prevented from celebrating uh, any, anything traditional, from learning Hebrew. All you had to do was be found with a, some kind of a little instruction book with Hebrew, maybe even just the Aleph Bet, the letters, and they're taking you off to prison. So it was a radical thing when in November of 89, the Berlin Wall fell. And the courage of those people, to me, is, is really admirable. That Berlin Wall fell down, meaning that you're cold, aren't you? Poor dears. If you were up here, you wouldn't be cold because you'd be, you know, gesturing and doing it. I left my jacket at the chair, but be warmed and fed. No, I was... Are we having fun? I'm having such a good time. Jeff may never invite me back, but I'm having a great time. So the, the wall falls, the end of communism, and the Jewish people pour out of the Soviet Union, mostly to... Uh, uh, to Vienna in Austria, and I think, where else? To, I think in, in Italy, maybe in, in Rome. And they're, they're in these various camps. We heard about it. We started praying. And I'm praying for the salvation of these Jewish people uh, because they've, they've been uh, blocked both from, from any, anything of Judaism but also certainly from knowing the Messiah. It turned out they were incredibly open, <clears throat> and people just, they're, 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 there was this incredible kind of revival among the Russian-speaking uh, Jewish people, and I'm praying, and this is what God shows me, an oasis in the desert. And then the Spirit of God interprets this vision for me, and I understand that this is something that's to be in Israel, that it has to do with providing for the physical need, because the, the Jewish people pouring out of the Soviet Union usually had a couple of little nylon bags. That You know, I came back to Israel, I'd been married about 25 years, and we had a 40-foot-long container that had to be shipped on a big boat overseas. That's how much we had accumulated as good Americans over the 25-year period. But these people were coming with, with nylon bags. Just nylon bags. A few, a few pieces of clothes, maybe, maybe a picture, you know, just, just meager possessions. And so uh, God uh, helped me understand that there would be a need for humanitarian aid in Israel. I still didn't know about the Ethiopian uh, Aliyah, the return of, of Jewish people from Ethiopia, which wound up delivering me a son-in-love, a son-in-law, which I'll, I'll show you in just a moment, his picture. But what happened was that I saw the combination. You see the water there at the bottom? There has to be a, a spring, some kind of a natural water source for any oasis in the desert. That's why it becomes an oasis, and, and the caravan stopped there. I saw it in this kind of ancient, you know, ancient terms, uh, almost like kind of a sepia tone photograph and camels and whatnot. And what I understood was that God wanted to establish something that this phrase echoed in my mind, tents of mercy. And God gave me a download of his mercy. The word for mercy in Hebrew, rachamim, literally is the plural of, of the word for womb, for a woman's womb, is rechem, rachamim, rechem. You can feel that that's the same word. And what it is is that God's maternal compassion. It's interesting that, that, that in the Hebrew, one of the names for God, El Shaddai, literally means the many-breasted one. Now, I'm not saying God is a she, but I'm saying that God created man in his image, male and female created he them. 
And so there is that maternal, where does maternal compassion come from? You know, it doesn't just kind of come out of the, out of the, out of thin air. It comes from the nature of God. It comes from that aspect of God because, because God loves children. God has this incredible nonstop compassion. And throughout the prophetic scriptures, we'll, uh, we'll read one to you right now in Jeremiah chapter 30. God says, I will turn to you in mercy. Though you have rejected me, I've not rejected you. And here he says in Jeremiah 30, for I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. Think about the Holocaust. Think about the, 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 the seeming rejection, the feeling of God betraying us and leaving us uh, high and dry, abandoning us. But he says, I will turn to you, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast. This is Zion. No one seeks her. Kind of makes me get emotional when I think about the level of rejection, the level of, of just how could this be happening? I mean, think about my feeling when one man that was my friend died. We're talking about six million. Jeremiah is seeing this. The prophets saw this. Ezekiel saw it when he saw the dry bones, the valley filled with many, many, many bones. It's, a, it's the image that, that the, the journalists uh, took pictures of uh, at the end when the, the camps were liberated. I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents. I'm going to bring you back to the land and have mercy on your dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace remain. Listen, here is tents and mercy in the same verse. I didn't know this verse existed in the Bible. When God spoke that phrase to me with the Oasis vision, tents of mercy. But I found it later and I realized that prophetically it fit perfectly with what God intended to do. Because he says their children will be as before and their congregation will be established before me and I will punish all that oppress them. This is an amazing promise and it goes on in Jeremiah 31. We won't take the time, but in the first part of Jeremiah 31, he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back from the land and you will, you will have tears in your eyes. And your women will be with child. That was Connie. We came back and she was three months pregnant and 45 years old going to an old new country. I mean, come on. My wife is really the hero of the story. I don't even come close. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, in this context, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, when I took by them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Okay, I knew that wasn't right. Oy va voy. You see, my clock was saying 11 o'clock. That's, that's really not fair. And the man, the man told me to end at 11.45. Now I'm in deep holy doo-doo. What can I do now? I'll, I'll, they'll never let me back. All right, we're moving fast now because I, I, want, I want Joel to share a little bit of his life with you. So we, we came back to Israel. We actually founded something called Tents of Mercy with humanitarian aid and with uh, the gospel being preached in Hebrew, translated into Russian. We took a, a warehouse. The warehouse was firebombed two, two years later. It's been an amazing, amazing ride. We are the dry bones come to life. No credit to us. 
Credit to God. Ezekiel 37. You can, you can read it. He breathed, He's breathing on us. But we're a, we're a remnant. We're a fragment. Much more is needed. And that's where your intercession and your friendship come in. Let's look at the picture. It says, dancing after the fire. This is actually my son carrying the Torah. This is in 1997. And then the scripture that I referred to about, uh, about uh, God... Well, I referred to an earlier one in Hosea. This is Hosea 3. Afterward, after this long period with no government and no, no priesthood, where the children of Israel will abide for many days, he says, after this period of time, the children of Israel shall return. Hello, that's us. And seek the Lord their God, also sought him, and David their king. This is prophetic language for the Messiah because in Hosea's time, David had already been dead for 300 years. So when the prophets speak of David, they're, they're speaking of the son of David, the Messiah. They don't know the name Yeshua, but that's who they're talking about. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness when? When? In the latter days. That's now, beloved. We're in the latter days. And so zooming forward, we had the opportunity to plant the first congregation, four daughter congregations in the Galilee area. God spread us out. We began to touch lives now the, the original congregation is being led by my, my daughter uh, and her Ethiopian husband. You can see them there. We're in the Haifa Bay area. We planted a congregation in Akko, just up the coast. Uh, the next man is a native Israeli, uh, and he is a Kohen, which means that his lineage goes all the way back to Aaron. Uh, in this, he grew up in Akko. He's preaching the gospel in native Hebrew. I preach the gospel in fumbling immigrant Hebrew, but he preaches it in native Hebrew. It's incredible what God has been doing in just, in just a little bit of time, just a couple of decades. Uh, what's happening is transforming uh, the country of, of Israel. People are beginning now to realize that you can be Jewish and follow Jesus. It's still not something everybody is asking, what must I do to be saved? But through men like Avi Mizrahi, who's a really close partner, and I... I, I pushed Jeff. I said, Jeff, I don't want to come here if this is going to detract anything from the commitment of Maranatha to, to Avi Mizrahi and Dugit. After all, I'm on the board, and we are, we are ministry partners in the land. In fact, Avi, I want to say something. There is nobody that has a heart for the unity of the body of believers in Israel like Avi Mizrahi. You guys continue to back him and support him and love him. And, and it just it's amazing what God's doing through his life. Then there was a, this is a, a Russian immigrant couple uh, who appeared around the same time I did. Young, young kids they were then. He's now, he's now 50 years old, this man. And he planted the, the, a congregation, two slides down. There's one here, of American couple that's uh, functioning in, near Tiberias. But then the last of these five is Vakif and Tanya. Uh, keep, keep a little bit before then, Lou. There we go. This is a Muslim background believer. <laughs> he grew up in a Muslim home in the Kafkaz mountains and got saved through his Jewish wife. And now here he is a messianic rabbi. I mean, go figure the way God does stuff. I love it. It's like sending the most learned Jewish rabbi of his day to go reach the Gentiles. I'm talking about the apostle Paul, you know, God, how do you, what, what, you know, anyway, I, I really relate to Moses, who said, don't send me. I, I have a stuttering tongue. I can't speak. I feel that way all the time, every day in Israel. Joel knows. They've actually taken me. Uh, I'm no longer on the preaching rotation with the youth conferences. You know, Nobody said anything to me. It was kind of subtle. 
But they don't ask me to do that anymore because they have better speakers that can actually use the language. <laughs> I, just, I just smile. It's, a, it's good. So the humanitarian aid has been an amazing thing. And uh, we are in full cooperation with our local city government of, of uh, the Department of Welfare. It's incredible what God has done. From the time of the firebombing over 20 years ago, when they turned a blind eye, nobody from the city government came along and said, Oh, Eitan, we're really sorry about what happened. That's too bad. You know, uh, you know we'll, we'll, we'll try to you know, help you find the perpetrators. Zip. Because, because nobody wanted to challenge the, the ultra-Orthodox who really were the authors of that. Uh, we never found it out for sure, but it was pretty obvious. And yet today we're in full cooperation. And the mayor comes and he wants to get his picture taken with Avi Shalom, with my son-in-law, to show all the good stuff that's happening in his city. I love it. I love it. This is, this is the way God works. And now we come to the National Youth Ministry, which 20 years ago was born when God put a burden on my heart for the young people. They were starting to be discipled, but in English. They were starting to be gathered together, but it was uh, good Americans that were doing it, and they didn't know from... Uh, from Hebrew or Jewish identity, and, uh, and I came along innocently. I said, you know, guys, where is this going? Is it ever going to actually, you know, become Israeli? They said, aha, <laughs> you're what we've been praying for. You know, Eitan, this is yours. And they go, here it is. And so Katsir or Harvest was born. And I want to ask Joel now to come because if you look really closely, I don't know if the guys can you know, do one of those things, you know, with your fingers that you expand it, but I can on my iPad. And when you look at the upper left-hand corner, look at this, Joel. There's this funky old guy with a big, a big kind of a, a broad-brimmed hat because we were taking a hike. And my, and my arm is around Joel. And I want to say one of the true privileges of my life is to be a spiritual dad to this man. He is so precious to me, he and his wife and their son. And God has linked us together, particularly for the youth of Israel. Joel, would you share? Thank you very much. So I really appreciate Eitan and his leadership. I know uh, we have to finish, so I'm going to make this really quick, just to share with you a little bit about what this uh, youth camp is. Um, it's called Katsir, which means harvest, and uh, our heart is to reach the teenagers of uh, the Messianic body in Israel, specifically the Jewish Messianic body. We want to reach uh, the teenagers before they go into the army, empower them to live radically and fully for the Lord, uh, they face immense, immense peer pressure as high school students uh, who are normally uh, on their own by themselves. And then they face immense pressure in the army. And so we're trying to get these kids to uh, engage them with the Word of God, engage them with the Holy Spirit, be empowered to live for God, uh, experience one of the, the, the main uh, visions or desires that we have for our camps that we have three times a year is that these kids come and experience God, not just hear, not just learn about it, not just, you know, get preached to and, and hear a good sermon, but that they, they experience. Experiential knowledge is much greater than head knowledge. And so we're, we're desiring and, and wanting to see them experience God in a deep way that transforms and changes their lives. And so one of the few ways to do that is by them encountering the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, this is what we're talking about in Pentecost is that we want them to encounter God through the Holy Spirit so that they can know the love of God. In Romans 5, it says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. So they need to encounter the Holy Spirit. And sadly, this is not something that is greatly, uh, that they're very exposed to in Israeli Messianic, uh, in the Israeli Messianic body. There's not a lot of... Uh, spirit-empowered, um, how would I say this? Katsir is somewhat of a unique place where they can encounter the Holy Spirit. That's how I'll put it. There are, there are charismatic congregations and, you know, believe in the Spirit. But in terms of a place where they can come and feel safe, we've had several kids who come from very conservative backgrounds who have come to Katsir and said, I come because there's something special here that I don't experience back home. There's something that is different that I need, that I look forward to. A lot of these kids look forward to these camps all year long because it's one of those few times where they get to be not only with friends or believers, but um, they get to experience God in a special way. And that is something that we are privileged to be able to serve and see them grow and change. Um, And hopefully it's something, you know, not always, but hopefully it's something that leads to real change in their life and then down down the line in the future. That's up to them, and, and, and as God encounters them, and, and even if it's just a few, you know, even if it's just a few of them, it's worth it. It's worth it. You know, if, if a few of them take a hold of it and walk with it and run with it. And I was one of those people who, through one of these camps in Passover, I think it was 2000, I want to say it was 2008, um, my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, I, I dealt with a lot of um, with issues with my dad, and I came to a place where, he, I mean, he wanted to kick me out of the house because he was a violent person, and, and I would stand up for my mom, and he wanted to kick me out of the house at one point because I dared to stand up to him. And I was, I was filled with hatred towards my dad. I, I hated him with, I can't even explain how much. I would dream about killing him at night. Those, I mean, I would have just constant dreams about killing my dad. And I realized something was wrong in my heart, and... I came to this camp, and I, I knew something was wrong in my heart, and I needed deliverance. And, I'm, I'm, and I was actually a small group leader. I never came, because I came back to Israel at the age of 17, and at that time, there wasn't a lot of young adults. So as teenagers, as, seven, as a 17-year-old teenager, who I loved the Lord, I was on fire for God. I had my issues, but I was on fire for God. I was a small group counselor for 14- and 15-year-olds, you know. So I'm actually a small group counselor as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old teenager, but, um, but here I am in need of God. And so I'm there in the camp. I'm supposed to be, you know, somewhat of a leader. And in the middle of the worship, the Holy Spirit falls on me. Nobody, nobody was praying for me at first. The Holy Spirit falls on me, and for the rest of the worship, which is about 40 minutes, just weeping and screaming on the floor, just being delivered from hatred, like deep, deep hatred. And it was the beginning of a process. It wasn't the, 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 the end. It was the beginning of a process that took some time uh, where the Lord just encountered me and began to deliver me from hatred. And I've seen this happen over and over with other kids as well. And so this is one of the reasons I believe in what we do because I've experienced it. I gave my life to the Lord at a teen camp. So we are passionate about these camps being an opportunity. Not all of their life will be transformed, but it's an opportunity for them to encounter something real because I've also seen it. I've encountered it. I've lived it. And I want to see others live that as well. So this is one of the things you guys can be praying for us as we continue to 
put on these camps, you know, um, we, we, we need the prayers of people for just the continuance of, of God to pour out his spirit over these kids, over our leaders, over our small group leaders. I was one of them, you know, over our small group leaders. They need to encounter God as well. And uh, we have a lot of volunteers that come in. Um, yeah, just, just pray for the young generation in Israel, you know, with the pressure and the, the difficulties that they will face. Uh, they need your prayers. Amen. Outstanding. I see that uh, my time is up, but I do, I do want to say... Such a thoughtful man, huh? Come on. You guys, you guys have been given quite a, quite a shepherd here. Uh, so what you can see here is this, this, uh, this prophecy that was made by, uh, referenced by Peter, which in one phrase in Joel chapter 2, it says that your sons and daughters will prophesy. So one of the attributes of these end times in which we live is the rising up of a young generation of, of leaders and of, of, uh, of young people who are filled with, with Yeshua, filled with his love. And it's for us, the, the more old timers, to encourage them. You see that this is, I'm committed to this, to raising up young leaders, and this is what we're seeing. Uh, Lou, if you'll just kind of cycle through the rest of the, uh, of the slides, I just want people to see the, um, uh, and yes, and, and uh, Malachi says, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, that our, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons or the children, and the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers. This is an essential aspect of uh, the times in which we're living. And then uh, I want to conclude with this note that in the Galilee, there are both Jews and Arabs who love Jesus. And this is our place of unity. This is the hope for peace in the Middle East. It's not going to come through... Uh, through President Trump. It's not going to come through the United Nations. It's not going to come through any other means but through Jesus the Messiah. Amen? Amen. And so we actually have organic relationships uh, with these people. You see that in this picture. Fields of wheat. If you, if you go to that, um, the last one, it has the big logo, fields of wheat. The next slide, please, Lou. Not that one. Just before. There we go. This is um, a, a combination of discipling of young people, the camps that Joel and I are involved with, this Arab-Jewish brotherhood in the Messiah, and we are believing God for a place. We haven't gotten the land yet, but we're believing to establish a center, a physical place where people can come and conduct camps and workshops and work and serve, and it will be a place where you can come also and to serve and worship with us, fields of wheat uh, if you'd like to have more information about it, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. And uh, if you, you probably haven't gotten a calendar yet for two, the end of 219, 220, this is my wife's artwork. I love you. Thank you so much for letting us be here. We really, really treasure this relationship. 